Hi, this is Caroline Halloran from Rock Nation, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etjart. Weekly music news for the new music business. For music business worldwide, three judges decide what Spotify, Apple, and YouTube Music pay songwriters in the U.S. From Variety, in removing Neil Young's music, Spotify didn't need to listen to the artist, but did have to heed his label. And from Dada Drummer, there is no CD revival, contrary to what we reported last week. <laughs> All right, everybody, sit back, relax, tilt your chair back. You will feel a tingling sensation, and that is perfectly normal. This is episode number 77. It's the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Let's start right now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, good morning, Jay. Good morning. We're back to our usual time. That's cool. Yes, we are. For us, we record Sunday or Saturday mornings. It used to be Sunday mornings. Now it's Saturday mornings. Yeah, it's good to see you on a, on a cloudy Saturday here in Los Angeles in the yeah. Los Angeles area. So yes, many sir. Oz, always interesting things to chat with. How about Caroline giving us a little intro? You should yeah. say who Caroline is. Caroline, or I mean, your relationship with Caroline. Yeah, Caroline is a rock star. She uh, she was my intern from uh, UCLA, mm-hmm. and. Uh, She's just the best, and she's uh, now working at Rock Nation uh, in New York. We wish her much success, yeah, and, uh, and thank her for that cool intro. Yes, yes, yes. Super intern, shall we say? Yes, sir. You had mentioned her to me many times about how great she was. Yeah. So, uh, what it, what an interesting week it has been in terms of some of these stories, and we're going to talk <laughs> about Neil Young, certainly, and uh, that's yeah. gotten a lot of headlines. And then uh, when when we get to that story, and then I think I saw this morning that uh, Joni Mitchell is now saying a similar thing. So, yeah. But we'll we'll get right. to that. We we'll get will to get it. to that. Absolutely. By the way, the yeah. man that I chat with. Every week, actually, we we speak more than every week, but we we speak sometimes multiple days in the week. But that's right. He is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is from uh, well. When I would I be incorrect to say you're from Salem, Oregon? That would be incorrect. I went to high school in Salem, Oregon. I was right. born in uh, the Seattle area. Uh, okay, born in right. Bremerton, Washington. If people know where that is. 
you're a PNW though, a Pacific Northwestern chap. So that's right. And he that's is right. he is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, weekly music news for the new music business, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment, and a very talented photographer. Oh, and just you. a groovy guy. Thank you. And, and my brother from another mother sitting here, Mike Etchard, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And I included the 2022 Billboard Power Players in your morning coffee this week, and I was shocked that you they left you out. It was a glaring Damn. omission for sure. What the hell? I know. Who do I, who do I need to talk to? Uh, I'm going to write my congressman about that Please one. do. <laughs> Please do. That is a... That's a snub. Let's be it, honest. It really, it's hurtful. It's just hurtful. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to cancel my subscription. That's right. <laughs> you rat bastards. Uh, by the way, we got some groovy sponsors that help us put the show on every week, without whom we could not put the show on every week, quite yeah. frankly. And so we must... Uh, we even have a new say, one this week. We do. And we're excited so about we, that. And I am too. A new music, a new sponsor, which is the Music Business Association. Uh, don't forget the four-day Music Biz 2022 conference agenda has just been announced, taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in Nashville. Along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, Next Gen U, DSP Workshops, and Brand Summit, to name just a few, you'll find timely new additions for 2022, including conversations on NFTs, gaming, and immersive music experiences, catalog acquisitions, and much, much, much more. So jump yeah. over to uh, musicbiz.org. Yeah, great I'll be there. Sponsor, um, great folks. I can't wait. Yep, it's going to be great. Um, I've been a member. It used to be NARM. Remember NARM? And then it yes, transitioned it to Music Business Association. And Indeed. I've been going seriously for about 20 years. And uh, uh, Portia and her team over there do a great job. But you know, don't forget to register for their upcoming live stream. Um, it's Let's Talk Physical, Successes and Opportunities for Physical Music Products. That's February 23rd, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Check oh. it out. Yeah, and your morning coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform. It makes it so easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. I've done it many times. All the features you need for a professional website, everything's built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, that's the key part, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days, just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com. Com, promo code morning coffee. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and, and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yeah. Yes, sir. Boy, oh boy, we have so much great stuff to talk about. But before we do, don't you have to say? Don't you have to talk about bands in town? Oh, did I miss bands in town? How did yeah. I do that? 
I'm, I'm going to hang my head in shame. I was sipping on my coffee and fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. We love bands in town. The number one artist services platform, connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans, managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Indeed. <laughs> Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Big thanks. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks Muchas for waking me gracias. up there, brothers. There you go. I'm here for you. I am here for you. Uh, well, let's jump in. Boy, the first, um, well, wait, the first wait, wait. article before was... Before we do, before we do, oh, sorry yes, to I'm cut sure. you off. I wanted to mention a couple of quick things um, that oh, happened yes. this week. I, 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 I should have mentioned this. Anyway, so... Um, I got a note from Bruno Del Granado. Um, he has oh, yes. a global Latin for uh, CAA. For those of you that don't know, that's Creative Artists Agency. He said some really nice things about Your Morning Coffee, the newsletter, and the podcast. But he, he mentioned to me that um, we haven't really touched much on Latin and its tremendous growth you know, here in the U.S. and globally. And he sent me some links to some stories. And uh, we will definitely do a, a better job, Bruno. Um, some of the links that he sent, you know, from Billboard, Bad Bunny tops year-end Latin songs album charts as Latin music consumption soars. Another one was from Music Business Worldwide. Latin Grammys cap a blockbuster year for Latin music. Uh, again, from Music Business Worldwide, Bad Bunny is the most streamed artist globally on Spotify in 2021, and he didn't even release a new album. We definitely should have covered that. Uh, Rolling Stone, um, English-speaking artists are losing their global pop dominance, and YouTube's leading the charge. And then the last one was from Variety. Live Nation closes $415 million acquisition of giant Latin American promoter, OCESA. Um, again, uh, we will definitely do uh, a better job of covering Latin music. There's a lot going on there that I wasn't aware of, but guess what? Now we are. And thanks for uh, there reaching you go. out. Uh, and it's funny. I, I was last night literally thinking about, I, I went and saw, um, Raul Malo, who was oh, the singer know, yeah. in, the, in the Mavericks. I've yeah. worked with him. He's, he, and I he, photographed him. He's amazing. What a nice guy and a Cuban American and easily a third of the show last night was in Spanish. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, and we do need to do a better job, Bruno, on that because it's the Latinization of the music business, just like it's the Latinization of that's of right the U.S. and of food and and the globalization, remember, right? Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Rao Malo, you know, he's my generation's Roy Orbison. He has this oh, voice. God, he can sing. If you yes. haven't listened to Rao Malo or the Mavericks, um, do yourself a favor. It, he is phenomenally talented ridiculously talented singer, great guitar player, great songwriter, f seems like a funny guy. I've never met him, you know, in person, but yeah, he's hysterical. And he's, um, he's a class act, no doubt about yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, but oh boy, nice to hear from Bruno and, uh, and yeah. good point. And we will actually absolutely We, we will take you up on that, that, Bruno, and thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And if I may do just a quick shameless plug, um, in your morning coffee this week, may. there is a, a video uh, of this webinar I did um, called Craft a Winning two, uh, 2020 um, Music Marketing Strategy, if I can speak. Uh, by, Actually, 2022. Uh, 2022. What did I 2020, say? There was a good one for 2020, I'm sure, but 2022 oh is the marketing strategy. 
Oh, I need another cup of coffee. Craft a winning 2022 music marketing strategy. And that was put on by Vibrate. And I was so um, thrilled to be joined by my friend Terry Tompkins from Hofstra mm-hmm. University. He's also an artist manager. He did that Trigger City uh, study that we talked about a little while back. Um, really a great guy. Super smart. Um, I... I I was just honored to be on that uh, video with him. And, and again, that was uh, Mia and uh, Ariana from Vibrate. Uh, just did such a great job. I love their platform so much. Uh, check out Vibrate if you want to get into, uh, you know, uh, actionable data for your artists, managers. You know, um, it's it's a really cool platform, and we'll be talking more about that in the uh, in the coming weeks. So anyway, just wanted uh, people to check out that webinar if you're into that sort of thing. Absolutely. You Absolutely. This, you probably do. I have so many papers on my day. We have so many things to talk about. I'm oh my getting, gosh. I'm getting confused. We, yeah, we, we are only covering three stories, um, but there's just so much to talk about um, this week. Um, and we have been covering some of these things, but things are kind of developing, and we want to bring you back a little bit. And the, the first piece, um, written by Murray Stassen over at Music Business Worldwide, the, the headline, Three Judges Decide What Spotify Apple and YouTube music pay songwriters in the U.S. One of those roles is up for grabs. And before we kind of get into that, I just wanted to, you know, Mike and I want to um, just kind of recap where we're at <clears throat> with some of this stuff. You, you hear people talking about the CRB, the Copyright Royalty Board. Well, that's really important because it, it sets the rates that DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, you know, uh, Amazon pay publishers and then songwriters. And uh, right now, um, the CRB, it's the third one. It's every five years. It's 15.1% of that revenue uh, paid to publishers slash songwriters. But that's not really in effect because Spotify and Amazon are still appealing CRB3, which goes right. through 2022. CRB4, which they're now starting to uh, talk about, it's a two-year process. And CRB4 is in progress, and that will run 2023 to 2027. Right. And so there's the NMPA, that's the National Music Publishers Association. They want, not surprisingly, they want DSPs to pay more. And not surprisingly, DSPs want to pay (laughs) less. (laughs) Thanks. Um, The NMPA, the National Music Publishers Association, claims DSPs are currently proposing the lowest rates ever. Now, has that been officially published, what they're proposing? Or is that just there's them? Been, there's been some leaks um, of what it, what people are saying because they're just in the process of um, discovery and all of that. Remember, this is like a legal procedure in front of yes. these, uh, these judges. Um, DSPs are propo- proposing songwriter percentage, you know, from 15.1%, which really hasn't even been uh, realized yet, to 10%, and some people are saying as far low as 5% is what they're Ugh. proposing to move it back, right? The NMPA is proposing moving it up to 20%. So right. currently it's, it's roughly like this, you know, 30% of the revenue the DSPs keep give or take. And remember, that's kind of the same as iTunes back when yep, iTunes was absolutely. the thing, right? It was a 70-30 mm-hmm, yeah. split. Um, 55% of the revenue is paid out to rights holders. And I underline that, highlight that rights holders, because we talk all the time about yes. artists who will say, well, you know, DSPs don't pay artists enough. Well, in a lot of cases, of course, they pay the rights holders primarily. So 
that 15%, you know, um, is, is kind of what's in play here. And then of that 15% that goes to publishers, they split that with songwriters, roughly 80, 20, um, roughly, uh, about that. So the, the one thing that I want to make sure that we mention here before we kind of jump into the story that I think gets glossed over sometimes is everybody's so focused on that rate that's being paid out that they forget that this music adds value in other ways, right? Um, for example, you have to look at the value of the song to the DSP. It's not just the, right. you know the payouts. DSPs gain stock value, and the songwriters don't participate in that. And they also gain nope. value you know, in other ways, right? Um, sure. Amazon Prime membership, Spotify, podcasts, merch, you know, that car thing, um, and Apple's product, you know, ecosystem devices, Apple fitness, things like that. So there's, there's other things to consider besides the value of that payout. It's also these other companies are, are gaining value. And, and the last thing I'll say on it is there's been a lot of discussion lately about Daniel Eck at Spotify in what he's investing in that's rubbing people the wrong way and his net worth being, you know, just south of $4 billion. So value is gained in other ways. And yes, and then he's complaining about paying out the songwriters that built it. And, you know, you and I have referenced our experience back at Universal in the day when when the, the business was changing dramatically and we would we would have all of these people come in and make pitches to us uh, again about building platforms building businesses on the back of the of our content and wanting to pay very little money and you know we would show them the door but um it's it's still going on and it's you know the only word i can think of is galling because it's like yeah. really you guys you are just you have built this business on the backs of music and yeah. you want to grind the people that the very people that create this music into the ground and just it's insulting it's galling and they yeah. should be ashamed of themselves they should be mad Shameless. as hell and not going to take it anymore and i think they are i think that it's now part of our weekly discussions. It's on the minds of people now. People are more uh, educated as to this uh, process. And they mentioned in this article that they're they're looking for another one of those judges for this yes. panel. And I guess there was an ad that was uh, published that said the new judge will serve, and I quote, as an expert on legal and factual matters on quasi-judicial administrative proceedings, God, that sounds important, in the area of statutory copyright royalties and informs senior management staff and officials at multiple levels of the Library of Congress and the Copyright Office on matters related to copyright royalty distributions and rate settings. This is really important that these this panel of judges they basically are going to make a decision that's going to affect um, a lot of people's livelihoods over the next five years. This is really an important story. And there's and there's only three of them. There's only right. three individuals, three judges that are yep. charged with uh, conducting these proceedings. So, and uh, the, the the gig is called a chief copyright royalty judge. I'd love to have that on my on my uh, resume, my business card. Yeah, that's right on my resume yeah. on my business card. Uh, uh, the person who is being uh, who is leaving is someone uh, Chief Judge Jesse Fetter, uh, who stepped down for the position. He's held that since 2019, um, and it says um, 
uh, where's his? Uh, so, but this this guy kind of he's a published author. He's had he has more than thirty years of experience in copyright and intellectual property law, including as director of international trade and intellectual property for the Business Software Alliance. Yeah, he's an he's an associate register in the U.S. Copyright Office and a legal advisor in the Office of General Counsel for the Library of Congress. So these are highfalutin folks. Yeah. They really know. You know, they, they're taking they are, this seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's stunning. I never, if I had read it, I'd forgotten. I didn't. I, I, I didn't remember that there's only three. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a pretty. I only remember because group. our our friend uh, Chris Castle, who is probably you know has written more about this than anyone, and has really educated me uh, about what's going on here. And I hope that he'll correct anything. You know, if we make any mistakes here, there was a really great kind of guest uh, article that he did for Hypebot last week. That's in your morning coffee as well, right alongside this one. And the headline is reasons for abandoning frozen mechanical rates at the copyright royalty board are growing. And I love this quote. He says in a recent comment, I called the copyright royalty board, a cornucopia of chaos, which is at least on the mismanaged mechanical royalty rates, writes Chris Castle. Um, and this this piece is really deep. I mean, he goes into, you know, the economy and how it's been growing or not and how that should be affecting these rates and, uh, you know, on inflation. And just he digs into it. And it's it's really if you want to know the nuts and bolts underlying all this, uh, you got to read this, you know, because it's there's it's so much more complex um, than you may you may think it is. Um, he he writes in here, you know, we hear from an increasing number of songwriters who are learning about what is going on in the current rate fixing movements at the copyright royalty board. You know, some for the first time. In a nutshell, the copyright royalty board rate fixing is a hugely expensive process that puts generations of children through university among participating lawyers and lobbyists. <laughs> By the time this money gets through the snake, so to speak. That process results in what are, frankly, scraps delivered to the kitchen table of songwriters at the end of the day. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, it is a long slog to get to the end of this in terms of, of the Copyright Realty Board coming to a decision and then yeah. the, the uh, process with which they still need to, you know, get number three done you know we're, we're talking about four and three is still in dispute and right i wonder how that works i'll have to ask chris if that's retroactive because that seems a little, yeah you know like uh filibustering somewhat and remember that these rates have been frozen since 2006 so that's why he brings up in this article and i won't go deep into it um but he talks about the economy and inflation and mm-hmm. even if you were just accounting for that, there would have been raises in this rate. That's right. And it it really hasn't been. So anyway, I encourage everyone to, you know, make yourself, uh, get yourself educated on what's going on with the CRB and watch this really closely because this is a really, really uh, important uh, story. Um, Chris mentions, you know, in this in this piece that, you know, one thing that everyone should be able to agree on is that inflation is a major factor in determining any statutory royalty rate. And that's not really being brought up um, that much, you know, so leaving aside an increase in all of the actual rates, 
um, that would you know kind of reflect the value of songs. It does seem that we must accept the thinking of many economists that inflation is here to stay for a while and surely will extend into that 2023-27 rate period of CRB4. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll continue to follow this really closely, but I love that there's so many pieces out there and people are asking these questions and we're seeing how the sausage is made with that, you know, three person board. And I really hope that the NMPA gets their way and they bump this thing up to 20%. And some of these songwriters um, via their publishers will start uh, realizing more revenue for their work. It's, we mentioned this, I think last week, it's, it's not right that uh, uh, a record company executive or people at a DSP are making far more money off of this art than the artists, the songwriters. Shameful. Shame on the DSPs. Shame on them. So, oi. All right. Well, let's jump over. And who wasn't even, you know, this, uh, this next story is something that, you know, when, when you know it's a big story when your friends that aren't in the music business are asking you about this stuff. And so we're going to talk about the next story, which is from Variety and removing Neil Young's, Young's music. Spotify didn't need to listen to the artist, but did have to heed to his label. And uh, if you had to have been under a rock if you didn't hear about the the kerfuffle, shall we say, yeah. with uh, with Neil Young uh, and Spotify and uh, his comments on Joe Rogan and that he wants to have his music taken down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a it's you know con- contrary to what the average Joe in the street thinks, as we know, Jay, that uh, Neil could say everything he wants, but it had to be Warner Records to come in and say, yes, take it down, Spotify. That's right. And we talked about that on the Music Biz Weekly podcast that went uh, live um, because there was so much misinformation about that. And they go into it in this piece. But before I jump into that, I got this funny uh, little meme. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but it says, everyone under 30, who's Neil Young? (laughs) <laughs> Everyone aged 31 to 60 didn't realize Neil Young was still alive. Everyone 61 and over, what Spotify? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, to your point, some of those remarks. This, what's great about this piece in Variety, and they always do such a great job. This was written by yeah. Chris Willman. Chris Fantastic Willman, yeah. piece where he interviews, you know, entertainment law experts, you know, like we talk about Dina LaPolte and, you know, who we really admire and people like that. But what they, they try to explain is that. You can't, if you're Neil Young, you can't just say, hey, Spotify, take down my music. Because they've got a contract with the rights holder, which is Warner Brothers. And, you know, could they do it as a courtesy? Sure. But even the record label has a contract with the digital service provider to carry their music. Now, there are exceptions. Sometimes you lose rights to recordings and they move on to another label and then you issue a takedown. You know, there, there are things like that. And then sometimes you'll take something down because you're reissuing it, maybe remastered or mm-hmm. whatnot. So there are these takedowns and things like that happen all the time, but they're done. The there's time. a process for them. And I think the common misconception is if you don't like what Spotify is doing, 
you know, you can have your music taken off. And it's not that simple. You you really can't. It's the the rights holder, you know. And, and Dina, I think, yeah, it's Dina LaPolt said, whoever own, holds the rights to the sound recording should be able to have the records removed from the DSPs, including Spotify. Um, usually that's the label, not the artist. Most labels will respect their artist's wishes if they feel strongly about something. But ultimately, if the label owns the record, it's their decision. Yes, indeed. And, you know, you and I both worked at... Uh, Warner Records and um, and the Warner Music Group and uh, you know I, I can tell you that there is pr- almost no artist in the Warner family that has more gravitas than Neil Young and in my early days when I worked at Warner Brothers Records I was an assistant to one of the senior executives and my office was literally ten feet from Lenny Warnker the president's office Legendary. and then to the in the other direction about twenty feet from Mo Austin's office. And and I kind of worked late, and that's when you would see certain artists come in after after everybody had left. And I remember a number of times being there late at night, and in came Neil with Elliot Roberts, his now late manager, a lovely mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And they, you know, uh, he was such an important artist for the label. And and you know, there's really there's only a handful of people who could kind of do this these days. I mean. Taylor Swift is definitely one of them, but Neil Young still has that that kind of aura that he can kind of pull this off, you know. With yeah. and Warner Records, it's not the same Warner label as it was when we were starting our our years in the business, but they still are known for their artist relations and the and the relationship and and giving artists freedom to do what they want. And so, it, it's not surprising that it's Neil. It's not surprising that it's the Warner Music Group that kind of kind of uh, is carrying out his wishes. Yeah. Um, but if you look in your crystal ball, Jay, what do we see in six months? Will he still be off Spotify? You think he's going to be off Spotify forever? I think he's going to be off Spotify for a while. I think that there's some some level of unfairness here to, well, maybe unfairness is the wrong word, but for example, you know, we heard Joni Mitchell wants to do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they're doing this because they disagree with uh, Joe Rogan and things he's saying um, that are... You know, I mean, there were hundreds of doctors that wrote a, you know, put a paper together saying that he's spreading disinformation. And I don't want to get into the politics of all of this, but they they don't like the fact that he's spreading disinformation about um, this pandemic or about COVID-19 and, and, uh, you know, how to cure it or what's going on with it. And so that's, you know, why they want to get off of Spotify. Um, But they're not getting off of YouTube yet. And Joe Rogan mm-hmm. is on YouTube, um, right? Um, I don't know it, it, how far do you want to go? And again, the labels decide because they're going to take a hit. I think what I read was something like sixty percent of his streaming revenue um, was through Spotify, even though they're closer to thirty percent of the um, market. Sixty um, percent mm-hmm. of his streams uh, come from there, and I thought it was interesting. Jeff Liebenson, um, who serves as the president of the International Association of Entertainment Lawyers, uh, said in Variety, you know, like how some of these scenarios would actually play out under existing uh, licenses with labels, you know, because they have these licenses with DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, so Liebenson said Neil Young is signed to Warner Brothers Records, which is part of Warner Music Group. He uh, has an agreement with Spotify. Uh, well, they have an agreement. Warner Music Group has an agreement um, to Spotify. 
uh, under which it licenses the rights to catalog of sound recordings, including Neil Young. Warner Music Group um, would have the right to require Spotify to take down certain recordings. Uh, this right is subject to negotiation. So the devil is in the details about the contracts, about what can be taken down. So that speaks to what I was I was mentioning before. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people who um, are a little bit more cynical than I am that think that <clears throat> this could be part of uh, a larger thing. Um, there are certain artists in the business that will create controversy and then launch a new product, and it just ha- this just happened to time out, or the timing was with this new Sirius XM channel. Um, for Neil Young was kind of announced on the same day. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that that's what happened, um, but I do think that if you get enough people, enough artists to um, raise this, uh, maybe some action could be taken. <clears throat> but as we speak in this, in the next piece, you know, attached to this, you know, that's the headline from the LA Times was why Spotify picked Joe Rogan over Neil Young in its misinformation fight. And in my mind, it's it's pretty obvious. You know, they paid a hundred million dollars to bring Joe Rogan there. They've surpassed Apple, you know, in podcasts, which no one thought Spotify could do. And this is something they're the rights holder now. Right. Exactly. Well, and we've talked about this for a long time. You know, ultimately, the DSPs have no ownership in the product that is is bringing home the bacon. And so they're looking to own content. And Joe Rogan was a big, expensive play for them. It's been very successful for them. Um, And they are in the business of wanting to create their own content. And it's, of course, obvious who they chose and why they chose. Um, It's not about the money, right? It's only about the money. That's exactly right. And... No surprise. Uh, but you know what did surprise me is, you know, at, with the sale of all these artist catalogs, you know, mostly on the publishing side, but we've also seen, uh, and I'm not surprised, but I, I didn't know prior to the purchase of Bruce Springsteen stuff that over the years when Bruce has re-upped his contract, he has he has basically uh, taken ownership of his own masters. Um, I'm kind of surprised Neil doesn't own his own masters or, or by this time hasn't owned his masters as part of his renegotiations over the years. He's such an important artist for the Warner Music Group. Um, so yeah. that kind of surprised me. But it also plays into um, the conversation we had, I guess it was last week, about Taylor Swift and her re-records. And you know, she did that to regain control of her masters. So if this scenario was flipped... Taylor Swift, and she did this at one point. She she withheld a, an album from Spotify. But if she had a beef or if she wanted to take a stand on something, all of those re-records she herself controls, so she could pull everything down. That's right. So this plays into kind of that, uh, the way that plays as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's 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 a. Listen, I I I I applaud Neil doing this. And look, he's um, he he doesn't just talk the talk. You know, he walks no, the walk. That's exactly and I've right. Always respected him uh, for taking a, a stand. I remember years ago, um, I think it was about artists who were putting their music, you know, for sync licenses and like selling out, so to speak, you know, being in commercials. Yeah. And I think he had a song, what was it called? Uh, it's Buds called, for oh, You um, or whatever it was. Yeah. Somebody yes, will, um, somebody's listening to this right spoofed, now yelling at he's, the... He's, he's spoofed commercials in the, in the yeah. video. Yes. Well, now sync licensing, you know, it's... It's a whole different thing. I'm wondering how this is going to evolve. And one thing I wanted to mention is all of these platforms have these guidelines. And I'm wondering why 
Spotify isn't really following their own guidelines. Like, you know, since the pandemic began, a lot of these platforms have adopted misinformation policies to limit users from sharing inaccurate or misleading information, you know, like hyping unproven treatments or, you know, making wild accusations. Some platforms policies specifically address COVID-19. Twitter users, for example, can't share false or misleading information about COVID-19, which may lead to harm. Like these are in their policies, right? Apple has a uh, similar uh, policy. Then there's Spotify. It says here in this LA Times piece that Spotify, you know, for music and podcast streaming has previously told news outlets that it, quote, bans false and dangerous deceptive content about COVID-19, which may cause offline harm and or pose a direct threat to public health. Um, But unlike its peers that we just mentioned, um, there is no policy listed under Spotify's user guidelines or over its summary of uh, prohibited content. And that's notable given all these controversies surrounding, you know, the Joe Rogan experience. So it's, it's really interesting to see the backlash here. I think, the one little thing that we wanted to clear up is that you can't just say, I'm an artist. I, I don't Take like it down. What, yeah, no. I don't like that you've got this on your platform. Take it down. That's the rights holders thing. And thankfully, Warner Brothers is very artist friendly, as you mentioned, and they did it. But they could have easily said, no, that's a lot of revenue and you're contractually bound. And this is what we're going to do. So kudos to Warner Brothers. Kudos to uh, Neil. And... I think there's going to be more artists jump on this bandwagon, right? We mentioned Joni Mitchell, um, but not all of them may be successful at getting their music actually taken down from the platform. Well, and it, it puts the label in a sticky position. What if what if more and more artists con- continue? So what if Green Day now says, "I want to, we want to support Neil Young? They're also on a Warner Music Group label. Um Okay, we'll take take you down too, and then but but when at some point the label might have to say, uh, okay, we got to stop this because you know it's really harming our bottom line. So yeah, that's that that's an awkward, um, challenging position if if this gets gets bigger and and more and more yeah, artists want to do that, especially if it's you know one of their top artists. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine asked me, um, well, what is what is Neil Young stream? You know, is this any big deal? And I looked it up in MRC, and just in the last week, in the U.S. alone, over nine million streams. So, wow, this is this is a lot of revenue um, for the label and uh, for for Neil. Now, of course, all of the other DSPs are now saying, "Hey, you know, we're, we got we got Neil Young music." We, I saw something from Cobuzz, right. something from Apple Music, and it's like, "Hey, sure. guys, we, we've got that <laughs> stuff over here." So do you think that it's a big enough deal for people to cancel their Spotify subscription and go somewhere else? Well, you know, I think you and I have talked about this over the years. I think I think in general people hate to change their their music subscription service, especially when you build playlists. Now, of course, you could, there's ways of transferring that stuff. It's just a headache. And so, and these things unfortunately tend to lose steam, you know, over time. And so, um, I don't. I think there might be a small group of people that will cancel, um, but I don't think it would be an, a, a, 
a stampede by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, in this article, they had a, a really a, a, a kind of a great line. It says, Young Neil has already been hailed as an actual hero in the battle between principles and going along with the program. Whether he may be a general without an army is yet to be seen. Oh, that's perfect. And, that, and that's kind of true, that's the you know, and it's... It's yeah. sad because again, these things kind of it's 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 hard to be angry for an extended period of time and to and to continue these things and it's Spotify, of course, as we talk about every week, is really the the behemoth in the business. You know, they, they it, it's hard to cut them out and and again, you know, if other artists, maybe more artists will, will come along and and stand up to this, but it's just hard to maintain that level of of um, of anger for an extended period of time. I don't. I, I think, unfortunately. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It'll be interesting to see um, the data as to what did this do to Neil Young's music. My gut tells me that you're going to see a pretty big spike in his music. <clears throat> He's alive and healthy, thankfully, but there are instances where an artist will die and just that attention to that Mm -hmm. makes their music spike it happened with meatloaf um recently right yeah and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if all of this uh attention is going to result in a spike in his uh streams my my gut tells me it is we'll see yeah 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 all right our last story today jay so last week if you recall if you listened in (laughs) we were talking about an article in the cd revival and uh, now this week from Dada Drummer, um, they're saying there is no CD revival. So let's break that down, Jay, because we don't want to look foolish after saying there was a CD revival. But damn it, here comes Dada Drummer uh, Almanac uh, saying there is no CD revival. And I hate it when they prove us wrong and there's all kinds of data now saying that maybe there really isn't a cd revival so what are your thoughts on that well there's definitely was a spike and this is all based on that mrc report in conjunction Mm -hmm. with billboard and the numbers are are accurate there were definitely uh there was an increase in the percentage and increase in numbers um and that's i still think that that's that's good news um, Adele had you know, almost 900,000 CDs uh, sold, and that's definitely going to affect that number. Um, but as a lot of smart people have pointed out, every year there are a few of the top artists that will skew that number as well. Yeah. But the thing that really brings it home is he put in a graph that says the rise and fall of the compact disc. You know, it's basically mm-hmm. since 1983 when they were launched. To, through 2020, and you look at this graph, and you can just see how it goes up and kind of peaks right around 2000 and then starts kind of coming down, coming down. And then by the time you get to the last, you know, five years, it's really just, a, you know, a rounding error. It's just so small as people got into downloads and then transferred into streaming. And so, yes, it, there was a spike. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's a full-on uh, revival. Revival. But I do see <laughs> people, right. you know, depending on the packages, you know, that you see, um, like Adele had some special packages that were available, you know, uh, bundled like with a T-shirt and things like that. Those creative packages help. I think the fact that people are 
looking at things like cassettes again. You know, I have artists yeah. that are creating cassettes again, and Absolutely. certainly we talk about vinyl uh, quite a bit. That I think people like tactile things. I think they like owning things, and I think one of the things that really hurt. Um, this pandemic, not being able to have physical goods to get mm-hmm. signed at the merch table, you know, whether that's a CD or a vinyl album. Um, but I guess the bottom line to this story is that people, it wasn't inaccurate that there was an increase uh, year over year. But it's, you know, uh, in 2020, CD sales fell, um, you know, 26% from the previous year. And that was the biggest year-over-year decline ever. So the fact that it's you know gone up a little bit this year, <laughs> yeah, it's it's maybe not maybe revival's not the word, but it was sure nice to see for those you know independent retail stores for companies like disc makers, and it was it was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I found interesting about the article was they kind of break down some of the top sellers of CDs. So they, we mentioned Adele, uh, and then Taylor Swift CDs were like two and a quarter percent of the total. BTS CDs were about two and a half percent of the total, all CDs sold. Uh, so the three together, Adele, Taylor Swift, and BTS, accounted for more than 7% of all the CD sales in the U.S. So this is not really surprising, but it, but it is interesting, and they also mentioned that, uh, and I've, I've read this and I forgot about this, um, Adele's blockbuster sales were boosted by a special edition uh, CD with bonus tracks unavailable anywhere uh, other than Target and a box set of a CD bundled with a T-shirt. So there were a lot of things kind of juicing the numbers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, this also gets back to another thing that, that to me is something that our industry... Um, kind of misses the ball the misses the the plot on which is there are certain maybe small groups but certain groups that like certain things certain products i think as an industry we want to really just do one thing and now that's streaming and that's it because it's easy the revenues are giant for the label um but, you know, we, we don't do a great job. We do an okay job sometimes of super serving these small groups of people that like CDs, that like vinyl, that like maybe special products, that like immersive mixes, you know. And it's really our job in the music industry to, to make products available to all of the groups of people that consume music. Yeah. And, it, and it boosts artist development. It boosts artist recognition and awareness and, and everything like that. And it's so, so as I'm yeah. lo- reading this, you know, we, we, we keep trying to say, ooh, it's, it's, it's a resurgence and we need to jump into that. But there's all kinds of other little categories of yeah. music that we don't do a great job with. I think you nailed it. never I, have. Yeah, I think you, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, there's a great song by one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Todd Snyder, and the line is, everybody wants the most they can possibly get for the least they can possibly do. And that speaks to what you're That's talking it. about. But I will tell you, it was eye-opening for me. Um, my last kind of major uh, music group um, job uh, was at Warner Music Group, working with WIA mm-hmm. and ADA, the fine people over there and the great labels that they have. And I managed their uh, business uh, through Amazon. And one thing that you learn about working with Amazon um, is that that's that's like a hybrid account that sells both digital and physical. A lot of places don't sure. do that. So you mm-hmm. can kind of see how the sausage is made on both sides. 
But I'm telling you, you know, we talked about Warner Brothers records, you know, with uh, Michael Bublé and Josh Groban and Bette Midler. Man, they sold physical goods because yes, in a little bit, you know, that adult older demo, they still want that physical good. And and I saw firsthand how while everybody else was focusing on streaming, and and we were too, you know, we we had that digital side. But we were also watching these incredible numbers globally rolling through uh, Amazon. So, um, you know, physical is not dead yet. And there's a really good chart from the RIAA in this piece um, that talks about music industry revenues, you know, in, and this is for 2020, but it'll give you a sense. Mm-hmm. So if you take that whole pie, 83%, which is a big chunk of this pie, is streaming. And then kind of secondarily to that, just under 10% is physical. And then believe it or not, this is 2020, of course, 6% downloads, which surprised me that it was still that high in 2020. And yeah. then, of course, sync licensing was, was the remainder, but 83% streaming. So, you know, CDs aren't coming back like vinyl kind of had this resurgent mm-hmm. resurgence. Um, I don't think, but I do think that physical product is more important uh, now and I think the pandemic helped kind of light that up. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, all right, Dada drummer, uh, and that's Damon Krukowski, I believe. Who uh, who Krukowski? Yeah, it. we we covered yeah. a couple, at least one other story that he wrote a while back, and um, I like this. I, I like the way he writes. You know, it's it's something that people were kind of talking about, but no one was really saying because, you know, they say don't let facts get in the way of a good story. It was just such a war- heartwarming story, you know. CD sales increased for I know. the first time in 17 yes. years. Um, it's just a nice headline, and he <laughs> he put he put headlines like the pictures of the headlines in here: stereo gum, uh, pitchfork, <laughs> Rolling Stone. <laughs> I know. And uh, you know, it's still it's still to me it's still kind of a feel good story that you know even though you know vinyl is outselling CDs. Uh, it's still pretty cool that people are still buying CDs. And like you said, you oh, know, absolutely, go to where the party is. If if you are comfortable having that CD player in your car, and we should have those products available uh, for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jay, uh, you know, as it's time to wrap up the show for crying out loud. God darn it, it's just 77. Goes so fast. Yeah, I it know, all, it always goes by so fast. It does, it does, it does, it does. So, we, you know, we uh, certainly appreciate everybody listening into the show, and it's it's always the highlight of our weeks to come Absolutely. in and, and do the show, and we are so appreciative of everyone that, that does listen in, and of course, our wonderful sponsors, uh, the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Darn it, we couldn't do it without those no, folks either. So. Jay and I recognize our blessings that we were able to do this week after week with folks listening in and with our wonderful sponsors. So uh, on that note, Jay, let's wrap up episode 77. On behalf of Jay and myself, thank you for listening in. Thousand thank yous. And we'll see you next week for episode 78. Yes, on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.